Thanks so much for joining us for another Planet Bio Office Hours. I'm Jeff here with Hamdi and Alexa and our special guest, Cami Wilson. Uh, thanks everyone for being here today. Great to be here. All right. So uh, the usual stuff before we get started, you know, Planet Bio is, uh, you know, not affiliated with any institutions or anything like that. Uh, views expressed are, are those of, of those who express them. Uh, and yeah, we're really excited to have everyone here. I'm, I'm here from BioIT today, which has been really great. Uh, huge turnout. Lots of great folks here. Uh, how's everything going with, with you all? Cami, how are, how are things? In, you're in San Francisco, right? Or are you yes, traveling? I'm, in, I'm in San Francisco. Great. It's okay. a little gray here. I'm hoping it's better <laughs> weather where you are. But, um, you know, I, I wasn't aware of the BioIT conference, but it sounds like it's a great event to be at. And I'm curious if there are any early, like, takeaways or, you know, like, trends or recurrent themes that are coming out of the conference so far. I'm sorry, Jeff, this is not on the agenda. You yeah, really no, like no, the topic right is, now. This is exactly, the, yeah, the kind of stuff that we like to talk about. Um, you know, the, the Planet Bio is all about, you know, being a resource for, for any Q&A from folks who are listening. Um, and to really have discussions at the intersection of, of digital and biology. Um, yeah, you know, I was just thinking about that, Cami, as I was sitting in some talks yesterday and today. Um, on, on Twitter, I've been putting some of my, you know, quick notes, like a few live tweets uh, at, at Startup Sciences is my handle. Um, you know, two things that I think have been coming up a lot, which I think are important. Um, there's a lot of talk about of course, machine learning and specifically artificial intelligence, right? AI, uh, yeah. as those talks have been coming out, uh, really important. I think when, when any of us talk about that kind of stuff to define what you're talking about. Right? So I've appreciated yeah, that definitely. every talk has started. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all been like, Hey, I'm going to talk about AI. This is what I mean. Uh, cause yes. it can, it can be different. So that's been really great. The other aspect, uh, and I know at our, our, MDSS event on Monday. This is coming up too. Um, you know, when you're talking about AI, it's important to talk about the data and specifically talking about uh, like the inclusion of data, the representation of data, the diversity of data, uh, everything that's going into these models to make sure that the models are, are doing what you want and, you know, you don't have any uh, like biases or anything you don't want in the models that you're building. So that's also been coming up quite a bit, which I think is, is really great. Uh, yeah. So. No, no, those are the two AI, things so far. <laughs> on that AI point, that's so important because I think now that AI through, um, you know, products like ChatGPT have gotten into yeah. the broader, I don't know if you want to call it consumer, but just into the broader like yeah. social narrative, a lot of people don't realize how much AI has been, has be, has been used and how long yeah. it has been used in other sectors like healthcare, and that yeah. the type of AI that um, 
you know, chat GPT is built on these large language models or generative AI is different from some of the other AIs that companies use. And so yeah. I, I think it's just so interesting that everybody is talking about AI now. And even for the companies that have already been building in AI algorithms and machine learning algorithms into their healthcare and life science platforms and all of these things, some I see some companies now thinking about how do we add in generative AI into that yeah. mix as well, just to, you know, not necessarily go with the flow, but definitely leverage some of the capabilities, you know, in that for like search and querying and so forth that are beyond just like the core product, like make it making the user interface a bit a bit more um, um, easy to navigate with the generative AI piece. So it's, it's been interesting. Absolutely. 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 Awesome. Um, and yeah, so, you know, we, we jumped into to AI and, and bio-IT because it's been exciting, but uh, would love to to maybe, you know, take a, a beat here and, and talk about, you know, some intros, Cami, with you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, would, would you be able to tell us, you know, a bit about what you do uh, yeah. over at, at North Pond, you know, how you got there, what's your, your journey been like? Sure, sure. So I am a vice president at North Pond Ventures. We are a large healthcare and life science venture capital firm um, that is quite active within the healthcare and life science ecosystem, everything from tools and diagnostics, biotech and healthcare technology. I came to North Pond from a previous firm. I was at OCV Partners in LA for two years. That was my first full-time role in um, venture, started there in 2019. But prior to that, you know, venture was not really on my radar. I'm a biochemist by training, did my PhD at University of Pennsylvania in Philly, did my postdoc at UCSF, and I've been studying um, metabolic diseases, type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, and then in my postdoctoral work, fatty liver disease. And over the course of that time, you know, because I've been doing research, I had been doing research since undergrad, I you know, got exposed at UCSF to some elements of entrepreneurship and the business side of life sciences. And that really changed my scope on what was possible, you know, with the work that I had done and ways that you can apply your scientific research and training that doesn't necessarily have to be at the bench. And so while I was at UCSF, I started getting involved with some groups. One of them was the Catalyst Program. It's an early stage catalytic funding, a very, very early for UCSF researchers who think that there's something in their lab that they, you know, can spin out, they can commercialize. And so through that program, you get a very small um, check, I think up to 100K, to think about what are the next steps for that project. How do you translate it? How do you think about, you know, the translational experiments that you need to do? How do you think about market landscape and, you know, product development? But that really opened my eye to, you know, some of the possibilities on the other side and, you know, even though I was keen to go to the business side, when you don't have any business experience, that really doesn't help. So anyway, I went into management consulting um, as a, you know, bridge point. And then after two years of that, that was great. But two years was enough. I launched into venture in 2019 and I have not looked back. It's been such an amazing job. I get to meet with so many I call them courageous. These founders are courageous, you know, because it takes a lot of 
energy and conviction to see a problem and say, oh, I want to be the one to solve it. And there's so many ups and downs, you know, not just at the early stage, but at every stage of the business. And so I think it takes a lot of courage to pursue an idea and to pursue um, a, a startup. And so just meeting with all of these courageous founders is always very inspiring to me. And then just seeing the technologies that are trying to get to market and how they have the potential to change the way that we think of human health and disease is also very inspiring. So I absolutely love my job. And now in my role, you know, previous roles and roles, you know, I'm responsible for sourcing, diligencing, and then supporting companies at the board level. Awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, and we have a few listeners here with us. You know, this is, uh, I'll just... Uh, you know, put in the plug to please, you know, feel free to join the conversation. We can answer any any questions you have or talk about whatever you think would be helpful. So please, you know, go ahead and hit that request to speak button and we'll, we'll get you in the conversation. Uh, and w- while folks are, are finding that button, um, you know, Hamdi, Alexa, uh, any questions that, that you wanted to ask Kami? So one question that frequently comes to mind, and I'm going to touch upon uh, the the two ends of the spectrum you brought up, Cami. One is, you know, what what does a VC like yourself bring to me as a board member? Like, what what comes into that advisory work? And then the early part is, how do you think about starting to work with a founder as you start to get to know them before even an investment occurs? Um. I'll, I'll take the first quest, the second question first. Um, so I can tell you that the VC is a relationship game, right? It really is about building relationship, building trust, because especially, you know, if you invest at the earlier stages, so anywhere from C Series A, where you will be with that company, hopefully for quite some time before they get to an exit. And so one of the things that I actively do and I know this is not unique to me or to my to my previous firm or to my current firm is we even though we typically invest at the series A stage we like to meet founders when they're at the seed stage we like to get an understanding of not only what they're building but who they are and be able to track them over time for their next round so we're building that relationship even before we start talking about a potential investment because at that stage you know like we don't do seed, you're a C-H company, so let's just have a conversation. Let's not make it necessarily, like, say, about work. Um, and so building that relationship is super early, not only because if it's something that's very much in scope for us, you know, you want to be top of mind for that person when they're thinking about who should in, who should they invite into their syndicate. You want to be seen as somebody who is knowledgeable what they're doing, somebody who, you know, has... Um, been like so a lot of times like for founders that I, I keep track of like if I come across something a news article another competitor I'll send it to them I'll say hey have you seen this or what do you think of this because it shows that you know not only did I just have the pitch call with you and then I forgot about you but I actually am you know interested in what you're building and I'm supportive of your development and I want to keep track of your progress so I think building that relationship early is very important to your first question on, you know, what do you get from VC at the board level? I would say what it is really changes and it depends on the stage of the company and the key priorities at that point in time. 
So, for example, through, um, you know, like the Merck Digital Science Studio, I'm not like officially a board member for any of these companies, but what these companies rely on me for is just advice. They're very early stage companies. They are, you know, working hard on their projects, their heads down, and they don't always have the breath of seeing you know, what else is in the ecosystem, what things have worked, what things have not worked. Me as an investor and having been in this field for several years, I have seen so many companies doing so many things that I can start leveraging some of that pattern recognition to advise them on, you know, maybe try this, maybe not that, you know, or, you know, I've seen companies fail at this point in time. So you should think about getting ahead of this or, you know, really think about expanding your scope on that. So some of it is advice. Um, as companies progress and they get into, you know, maturity and different different segments of the business become more important. You know, for us and my current firm, we are very hands-on um, investors in that we will roll up our sleeves and help with whatever you need help with. So whether it's hiring or, you know, finding an independent board member, or I, I can give you two examples for two of the companies I support. One of them, I was just helping them do a refresh of um, a drug landscape within a particular indication. Or for another one, I was helping them with thinking about, you know, commercialization for a certain class of like diagnostic tests and like really having like some case studies to support what they might go into. So, you know, every firm is different. Not all investors are, are hands-on. You know, I think it also depends on how senior the person is on the board because the reality is if you have a very senior person, they're probably not going to be in the weeds with you. Um, but we we try our best to be as helpful to the companies and also have them tell us where do you need help, not us always saying we're going to help you with this, but where can we actually be help you, helpful to you and plug in and give you an extra set of eyes or ears or hands. That's awesome. Thanks so much for, for going through that, Kimmy, and thanks, Hamdi, for that, that in, insightful question. Um, so we have... Uh, Julia with uh, a question as well. I, I will just, uh, you know, add this quick disclaimer to the group too, that this is a, a recorded session um, and our, our goal is to post this as a, a podcast as well so that folks who can't join us live can listen in. Um, so just throwing it out there, you know, that this is recorded uh, so you, anyone's free to listen, but uh, it's important to know if, if you want to speak. So uh, Julia, you know, uh, would love to, to hear your, your question or, or comment. Thank you so much. It's fascinating. Uh, terrific speaker. I guess I'm a little bit curious on the point at which you were a postdoc. How did you decide that you wanted to be an investor rather than take your own science and seek some of that seed money for yourself to become a founder? <laughs> That's a very good question, Julia. Um, when I was a postdoc, I didn't know at that point in time that I wanted to be an investor. So I just wanted to clarify that. I did know that I didn't want to keep doing the bench research myself anymore. You know, I had been doing research since undergrad. So undergrad, grad school, postdoc. And when I was thinking about also my specific project, which was working on a fatty acid transport protein called CD36. And I was thinking, I remember that year, I don't know, let's see, what year was it? Maybe like around 2015 or so. 
at JP Morgan, the big talk was all on FXR agonists and like the potential of those for Nash. And I was really excited about that. Um, but when I thought about just that specific protein and whether or not it would potentially be like a druggable target and, you know, how much time and effort it would take to actually translate that specific work into um, something that was commercially viable. I was like, man, this could be like 20 years. Now, at that time, I was thinking about it more from the, like, if I stayed in academia type of setting. And I think I didn't appreciate at the time how much faster research and discovery can go when you have outside capital and you're not dependent on grant funding and these sorts of things. Now, there was another project that I had going. We had to really interest in, um, we had all these really cool animal models in the lab. There was one where if you knocked out a particular um, kinase, Janus kinase, only in fat cells, you confer this insulin sensitivity to these mice that were very fat, but very, very metabolically healthy. And so that was one that my boss and I were actually pursuing through the funding program, the internal funding program, because there were already existing um, inhibitors of that kinase. And what we were trying to do was to make a fat-specific molecule by linking it to a certain, um, you know, metabolite that only gets taken up by fat cells. Anyway, long story short, I think I didn't have the vision of where that research could go. And I also felt like I didn't have the confidence to to be fair, that I understood like the mar market dynamics and these sorts of things enough. And so for me, you know, venture really wasn't on the radar yet. I had been exposed to it because one of the classes that I took, Idea to IPO, was actually run by a VC firm. And I always thought back then, oh, you know what, these these are all MBAs. Like, I can totally do this job and, and help, you know, them evaluate these companies because I have a scientific background. But for some reason, it didn't seem like it was a viable option for me. Back then, it was very, very tough to get into venture. It was based on your network, very, very close, not, diff not like what it is now, where you know you had to know the founder of the firm or their their son or their you know some relation to them and very different circles i mean i'm black female i'm an immigrant i don't have i don't have the network and circles i didn't have the network and circles to get in at the time so for me like what i really wanted to do is just build my business skill set and that was important for me because I figured if I did that, I could go in a multiple directions and, you know, where I needed to be would reveal itself. And so I went into management consulting, got the business experience there. And then after that, it's like, OK, where do I want to go next? And so I actually started out with a VC internship and did it and was completely sold. And the only reason I picked the VC internship is because I was actually thinking about private equity because a lot of my friends from BCG had gone into private equity post-BCG. But I would see the job descriptions. It would say in sourcing diligence, sourcing diligence. I'm like, I think I know what that is. I'm not really sure what that is. So, and then I saw this like on LinkedIn. Oh, we, we will teach you to source diligence in this VC internship. I'm like, sold, took a chance, did it, and have not looked back. So it's always, you know, it's never like a linear path. <laughs> it's always up and down. And I think, you know, some of it is also just like, having the readiness to jump in um, and, you know, or the confidence to jump in at, at certain points in time. Hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, That's thank awesome. you. That was great. This is great. Julia, any other 
questions that, that you'd like to ask? I'll do one more if no one else has any questions. <laughs> Please so, do, yeah. When you think about diagnostics as a business, is the customer the patient or is the customer the physician that's ordering the diagnostic? Like, how do you sort of build businesses around yeah. tests? Yeah. Diagnostics is a is an interesting space for sure. And we have a couple companies in our portfolio in the diagnostic space. And the the simple question, the simple answer is they're all your customers, right? It's not just the patient or the provider, but it's also who's going to pay for the test. And so you know, most of the times when you're doing diagnostic tests, of course, you're going and you're selling to the physician and you're saying, we think that this test is going to be useful for managing your patient and so forth. But really and truly, you have to have a value proposition that also aligns with the person who's going to pay for the test because the doctor isn't going to pay for the test. Health insurance, you know, is going to pay for the test. And so, we find that with, with diagnostic companies, you have to be very, very thoughtful about not just how you validate your test or the, the clinical validity or the analytical validity, but the story you tell on the utility of the test and the economic benefit of the test, because those two pieces are going to matter a lot to the person who is either prescribing it or the person who's paying for it. On the clinical utility, what you find is that especially for newer diagnostics, doctors have their ways of working. And if they've been working in a world where this diagnostic does not exist, they found ways to get to an answer without that test. And so now you're saying to them, I want you to use this. And they're like, but why? What's the utility of this test when I can get to this answer? Maybe inefficiently, but I can get to this answer eventually. And so what I, I, I find that like a lot of companies building diagnostic tests they, you know, they go the LDT clear route and they don't always put as much effort into building the clinical evidence that doctors will like to see on how did I use this test and what was the outcome for the patient based on using this test or even what they call decision impact studies, like based on this, the reporting from this test, how did I change my decision making XYZ? And I know that for a diagnostic test, it takes so much money to, for that initial development that sometimes companies want to get into the market and get under their belt, you know, building the clinical evidence. But I think there is a opportunity if you well funded to start doing some of those studies early because it really does drive the adoption of the test. And then that adoption of the test is sometimes what moves the payers to pay. If you don't have all of the you know health economic studies as yet, if payers see that providers are excited about the test, using it a lot, they pay attention and they find ways to figure out how to get that into medical policy and get coverage if there's enough demand from the payers. So you have to be thinking about both sides of the, the coin and then also thinking about, you know, what do patients need? Like, so for one of our companies, um, I will say which space they're in, but since I started supporting them, I've been joining a lot of forums of patients with that disease to understand what some of their frustrations are and what some of their challenges are and how they're 
having a hard time navigating the healthcare system. And you see the comments and I think to myself, wow, yes, this, this test like that with this company has is so great for addressing like these questions that the patient have. And so you really do have to build something in mind for all of the people in the ecosystem. The patients will be using it, what they what you know they are lacking from the current healthcare system, what they want to get, the providers seeing the utility of it, and then of course the payers also seeing the outcomes and the economics of it. Has COVID awesome. altered this landscape at all? Right? Like getting away from you know, PCR is the gold standard, ninety-nine point nine 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 whatever accurate, but like you know, it takes three days versus a spit test is only 97% accurate, but it takes two minutes. It just depends on the test and the level of specificity. I mean, some of these diagnostic tests are um, proteomic tests. Some of them, they're not all DNA tests, right? Some of them are based on um, RNA signatures. So it really just depends on the type of test and what level of, um, you know, how you need, how it needs, how the metabolites or analytes or whatever your measure needs to be analyzed. It's, I don't think COVID has, has changed that, no. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for, for that question. And thanks, Cami, for those those insights. Uh, yes, we have Leia here as well as we, we come to the bottom of the hour. Um, and I, I always remind folks, right, this is a, a recorded session that'll go out as a, a podcast later as well. Um, you know, Leah, what, uh, what's your question? Uh, thanks. So sorry, I know we're uh, almost at time and this no, is no. quite a broad <laughs> question. Um, but I just wondered, you, you spoke about building that relationship with VCs. You know, say you're at pre-seed and they're more Series B investor. As you sort of track that founder and their company, just broad strokes, what kind of progress are you looking for or really connects on your side to give you the confidence that, yes, this is a company I'm excited about, I want to be involved in? Yeah, um, that's a great question, but it's also one of those things that's dependent, right? Um, so it, it, if it's a more commercial-facing um, company, or, or let's just say it's early stage, then you're tracking the development of their technology. Are they making progress on their product or their platform? Um, how are they validating that? And then I think what you start looking for are early signs that somebody is willing to engage with this product or service. So it might be a pilot or like announcements of pilots or early adopters who are coming alongside to work with the company. Um, you know, I also look at like how they're developing their team because as the company evolves, you need to bring on key personnel to make sure that you can support development and growth. And so uh, like when companies said, oh, we've added these people to our team because we're in the cusp of this, we brought down this data scientist or we brought on this person for sales or we've really figured out our scientific advisory board now and, and then you know that there are other people coming alongside. So some of it is like how you added people to the team, some of it is progress on the core product and then for those that are more commercial ready, just starting to get that sense of that early commercial traction, the adopters and then how... Um, um, customers, potential customers, are engaging with the company. Awesome! Thank you so much uh, for for these great questions, everyone. Thank you so much, Cami, for joining us today uh, on Absolutely. on these office hours. This was wonderful. Well, thank you. Uh, any parting words, Cami, for our, our listeners? 
Um, well, I'm not sure where everybody's from, but I, I think I'll just go back to one of the things I said in the beginning about pursuing the things that you're passionate about and, you know, having the courage to to go after them. I think that's been a theme of my life. It's just coming from a tiny, tiny island in the Caribbean and like where I am now, it's always taken that leap of faith. But like I have no regrets for the things that I've pursued and they've been so rewarding. So that would be my my takeaway for this Wednesday. Pursue the things you love and have the courage to do it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, Jeff, for organizing.